going on, family? Welcome to the first ever episode of What We Don't Know. I'm so, so excited to be launching this thing. Uh, Since it is the first episode, I want to introduce myself for a second. My name is Xander Schultz. I'm a venture capitalist, activist, and organizer based out of New York City. I've been super lucky to spend the last several years helping some of the world's greatest change makers, activists, social entrepreneurs, thought leaders. And in that process, I've learned so much. Uh, My eyes have been open to oppression that was happening in plain sight, but I was blind to. Things like the cash bail system, or gerrymandering in America, or the lack of safe passage for refugees in Europe. I've also learned about so much progress that incredible folks are leading. Like Desmond and Sheena Mead, who passed Amendment 4 in Florida, which restored voting rights to 1.5 million formerly incarcerated people. Or Jaha Dukure, who successfully ended child marriage and female genital mutilation in Gambia. And she isn't planning on stopping there. This all helped me create this positive, optimistic worldview. Uh, As you know, the news cycle isn't always this beacon of hope. And there really is so many amazing people and so many amazing things happening in the world. And I wanted to create a place to share those things. So with that said, there's a couple other reasons I'm launching this podcast. I want others to be included in the types of conversations I'm having and have a better, more grounded understanding of these big issues, especially coming from the viewpoint of impacted people and impacted leadership. Uh, Selfishly, I want to continue meeting these people, (laughs) chatting with them and helping these folks with their initiatives. And lastly, I want to create a platform that holistically supported them, not only helping elevate their message and expand their own personal platforms, but also providing funding. And so this podcast, hopefully it'll be a financially successful one because we're dedicating 50% of the revenue it generates towards all the initiatives of our guests. So it'll be dispersed amongst them. And so hopefully we can really add some jet fuel to the initiative of these amazing, amazing leaders. So, on to this episode. Mark Goulston is the guest on this episode. He's a world-famous psychiatrist and author. He was a suicide specialist for 25 years and legendary for having never lost a patient. Now, originally I didn't plan on Mark being my first guest, but given the moment that we're all in, I thought we could all use some new tools on how to stay mentally healthy and how to support each other. I hope this episode finds you and your loved ones safe and healthy, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Dr. Goulston, super appreciative of you taking the time. You worked in suicide prevention for a long time as a psychiatrist, and you were famously successful in doing so. During this time where people are incredibly stressed out, who should we be worrying about the most? Who should we be checking in with? A friend of mine had a great phrase. He says, we always guard our calendar. When we have an appointment or we have something on our calendar about exercise, if it's on our calendar, we do it. So what I would say is I would calendar an hour a day. And in that hour, you start with your closest circle and thinks things are changing. You communicate with them in the way you do, whether it's text or email. And what you say is just checking to see if you're okay. That's a different statement than saying, how are you doing? Because when you say, how are you doing, it almost is similar to those kind of empty ways we greet people. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Just checking in to see if you're okay. Yeah, just checking in to see if you're okay. But when you schedule that hour to check in with people, I would make a list. 
especially make a list about the people you're most worried about because frequently those are the people we're scared to call and it hangs over us. And I know this is tough, but if you get into this routine, put down the three or four people that you're most concerned about and contact them first in that hour. Because otherwise what will happen is it will just be lingering and eating away at you. Part of my understanding and my observation about people becoming suicidal is when they feel what I call despair, and I break that into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, and that means when they feel unpaired with a reason to live. And so when people feel hopeless, helpless, powerless, Mm. useless, worthless, it can all combine to be pointless. And often when people choose suicide, they're pairing with a way to relieve that pain. Right. And also something we talked about earlier, because I have a lot of passion about neuroscience and how that can help us calm ourselves down by understanding what's going on in our body, our brain, and our mind. And something that we've spoken about and something I speak about frequently is that uh, when we're under great stress, There's a chemical in our body called cortisol, and a lot of people know that cortisol is the stress hormone. It's something that our adrenal glands secrete that basically signals our body, get ready, because the crop's going to hit the fan any moment now. Mm -hmm. What happens is that cortisol triggers a survival part of our brain, and there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, and some people have heard of something called the amygdala hijack. So when the cortisol goes high... It triggers our amygdala to actually shunt blood into our lower survival brain, our fight, flight, freeze brain, reptile brain, and away from our being able to think. And here's the thing. There's another hormone called oxytocin. That's the bonding hormone. That's what enables mothers to bond their screaming infants and go without sleep for three or four days and not yell at them. And so oxytocin counteracts high cortisol, Mm. and the way you increase oxytocin is by connecting to people, feeling to feeling, which brings me back to intervening with suicidal people. And one of the techniques that I've used over the years is something that I call interventional empathy. And it's a way of actually going into the dark night of the soul and kind of keeping people company there until they start to cry with relief. Mm. Sometimes when someone understands us in an unsolicited way, they catch we're not in a good place and they say, are you okay? Sometimes kindness makes us cheer up because we feel a connection, and that connection is oxytocin. And that oxytocin tends to lower cortisol, tends to deactivate our amygdala, and our blood flow goes to our upper brain. And I've come up with uh, what I'm now calling nine words because I was just on a podcast and we added one. So here are nine words that you might want to use with people who seem in a bad place. But the nine words are anxious, depressed, afraid, frustrated, angry, ashamed, alone, lonely, tired. Now, there can be other words. A couple people added other words like, I feel nothing. And what was interesting is when you get people to attach an accurate word to how they're feeling, it lowers amygdala activation. It actually calms you down. 
And it was interesting when we did this live streaming, we actually had some participants on the call, and at the end of it, uh, we listed the nine words, and we had people in the chat room just write the word they were feeling. And Xander, you could feel that as each person just typed in the word in the chat room, mm. you, you could feel almost a collective exhale. Do you think there's something almost positive about how shared this trauma is in an almost historically unique way? Totally. I think there is a chance to collectively come together. Is there a way to extend human kindness to humankind beyond this crisis, as opposed to humankind running back to excitement, to uh, uh, distraction? It's funny, you know, the older I get, the more I find cliches to be true <laughs> and i was just neglecting them for a long for a long period of time in my you know naivety that it, somehow i was going to craft all the answers that we need but it sounds like just empathy in this moment empathy always and empathy especially in this moment is just so important when i reached out to you and asked what you thought people should know that could help them get through this tumultuous period during this crisis you immediately talked about russell bishop's five steps and so i thought that would be great to share with folks can you walk us through russell bishop's five steps yeah russell bishop uh, has a book called workarounds that work and russell's a very smart guy and uh, what i like about the five steps is they're like lego blocks so they fit together so they First step is he calls it own it. And that means accept that the coronavirus crisis is real. It's not a bad dream. It's happening. It's something happening to all of us. So we all have to deal with it. The second step is uh, he calls it outcome, meaning given that that first thing happened, the coronavirus crisis has happened, what's the best outcome, near-term outcome, and I think it's clear that the best near-term outcome is to try to reduce the spread of it, hopefully, if we can, prevent as many deaths as possible, slow it down, flatten the curve, whatever you want to call it, so mm -hmm. that healthcare resources can catch up and treat it, and so that our, our brave, valiant healthcare workers on the front lines can deal with it. And so that's the best near-term outcome. And the third step is he calls control. What is something that's under your control that you don't need other people's permission to do? And three of the main things are what we're told every day. Wash your hands, social distance. And third now, stay at home. Those things we can all do. But there's other things we can also do that are under our control. When we're staying at home, we can come up with ways to interact with our families. We can come up with games to play. We can learn new skills. I've heard that all the Ivy League schools, for instance, have put up, I may be wrong, 450 free courses. That's incredible. So it is incredible, and you can learn all kinds of things, and, and so that's under your control. You don't even have to pay for it. So think of what's under your control and do that. The fourth step is he calls influence. So when something's not under your control, you have to influence other people to act to get that near-term outcome. So, for instance, what's happening with our leaders, namely President Trump, Governor Cuomo, uh, whether you like his politics or not, he has stepped up. And then the experts, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke, I think uh, is their name, they've stepped up. And so they're trying to influence the country to really do these things that can slow down the rate of spread. So they're trying hard to influence us. They can't control us. There's still parts of America where people are not keeping a social distance. In many places where they're 
throwing caution to the wind and it's going to come back to bite them. And so what can you influence and then how do you get those people to do it? And the fifth thing uh, Russell talks about is he calls it your response-ability. Response-ability. What is your ability to respond? What are you going to do with regard to those first four things? Now, I think that these five steps, uh, I just think they're great in the way they fit together. When you talked about influence in Russell Bishop's five steps, a lot of people really struggled with that, right? That they were having a hard time influencing their partner to get on the same page with them or their parents. There was a lot of articles going around about how millennials were having a hard time convincing their parents to take precautionary measures and protect themselves during this. Well, there, there's a, in millennials like this, it's actually a hack when you're having an issue with another person who you're trying to influence. And the hack is this. If you can, and try this in terms of your partner, if you can pause and ask yourself, what's it like for the other person right now? Just pause and be curious, what's it like for the other person right now? What you'll discover is you can't be curious about another person's state of mind or feelings and be venting at them at the same time. I remember years ago with my wife, uh, you know, we were having a little bit of an argument, uh, you know, and it was picking up speed. And I remember uh, there was an exchange, and I asked myself, what's it like for her right now? And so instead of reloading to throw something at her, I paused and I said, um, you don't like where this is going, do you? She says, no, I can't stand it when this happens. I said, yeah, I can't stand it either. Uh, yeah, you don't like where this is going any more than I do, do you? She says, no, no, I can't stand it when we get into these things. And I said, do you have any idea how we can keep it from going there? And she smiled at me and she said, no, but you're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> control and what's under your control was, I think, the hardest for me and a lot of folks that aren't used to being vulnerable. It really wasn't until last couple of days where I started to turn more inward, started thinking about doing things like this podcast with you, that I started seeing light again at the end of the tunnel. Well, maybe the hour, uh, the scheduled hour to reach out to people will, will uh, satisfy what I'm about to say. If you can think of what can I do or what can I get done every day that helps someone else? And one of the reasons that can help you is I can tell you that over the years when I was a practicing psychotherapist, more than a few people who were depressed and anxious, when you drill down, would say, maybe I don't deserve to be happy because way, way down deep, I don't care about anyone but myself. I'm just self-absorbed. Even if I do things on the surface, you know, I do things on the surface because I can. I have money. I can you know, write a check. But down deep, I'm not sure I really care about anyone other than myself. And one of the things I used to do is I would give some of my patients a box of healthy treats. And I'd say, uh, when you pass homeless people and you're afraid to give them money because of it, you know, they use it on drugs or alcohol, go over to them, introduce yourself, ask them their name. You know, homeless people have names and they actually talk. And then uh, after you do that, give them a healthy treat and say, here, I hope this helps a little bit and uh, take care of yourself. And then report back. Do that every day. And the majority of patients who did that, they came back and they said, oh, I feel less depressed. It's because every day they felt, you know, I was doing something other than just being focused on myself. I was making the world better. 
I would be remiss if I let you go before I give you an opportunity to talk to maybe people who are at their lowest. So when they think about Russell Bishop's five steps and they think about the best outcome, you know, these are people, and we have lots of them, unfortunately, now in this country that have lost their job, have lost their income, that are have, you know, zero or negative in their bank account and are staring at, you know, a government that <laughs> is either slow to act or is having trouble acting. We're not at necessarily a high point politically in this country. And so they might be nervous about if help is ever coming or how it's going to come. What would you say to people who are having even trouble seeing light at the end of the tunnel, even using Russell Bishop's five steps to those people who are really, really struggling at this moment? I'll tell you something we all have control over. We have internet. Many people don't, unfortunately. But you can reach out to the internet. You can go to Google and find any particular group that's concerned with anything. Out of work, furloughed, terminated. Reach out to them. Now, a lot of people say, I don't want to hear other people's problems. Uh, But what happens is as you uh, reach out to them and as you even just read what other people are going through and you share what you're going through, you create, again, this massive oxytocin thing. And I'm the suicide specialist and a year ago uh, on Twitter, and I have over 500,000 Twitter followers, but I've permanently pinned at the top of my Twitter feed, at Mark Goulston, I say, do you know of anyone in your community uh, who died by suicide? And almost everyone does. Mm-hmm. And it has 2.7 million impressions, and the number of comments is huge, and people are just listing and listing all the people they know who have killed themselves. Right. And it is, you might think, how depressing. Well, the point is, if someone in your family, or if you've made an attempt, you're suddenly part of a fraternity or sorority that you never wanted to be a part of. And so I can see how some people who just want to stay away from it, but I can tell you it's saved, that tweet has saved lives because people reach out. I've definitely found that true. You're familiar a little bit with, you know, my own past trauma. I have a hard time sometimes explaining the gratitude I have for the lived experience of having my father murdered. I'm not grateful my father was murdered. I'm still struggling to find the words, but that shared trauma has allowed me to connect with so many people, people who didn't necessarily have my exact type of trauma too. But it's really helped me be a better person and a better bridge and a better connector and comforter uh, for, for so many. So I've certainly found that to be true. And I'm lucky in some ways that because our loss was so public, it was kind of a uh, forcing mechanism <laughs> in terms of people know to come to me and talk to me about what they're going through just because it was so public what I went through and vice versa. People need to reach out to me to help me through that time as well. And so I'm both grateful for that attribute of the loss and for the public profile of it in so many ways. Yeah, no, I can understand. And so what I hope our listeners will get from this is the natural response is to want to withdraw. And I think we have to resist that. And the reason for that is when we withdraw, we become prey to our own imaginations. Like, I'm, a, uh, I'm an introvert. Uh, my natural response is to shy away from things. And here's a, a bit of humor. I, I'm a founding member of the Dread Going But Glad I Went Club. <laughs> <laughs> meaning, meaning it's like, ah, why did I say yes to this thing? Why do I have to do this? What do I get myself into? 
And then I just say to myself, just go. And I think a lot of introverts have that problem. But in this age now of the coronavirus crisis, I think there's a collective decide almost freeze in place. And again, we guard our calendars. Put that hour in your calendar and just try it for a week. And if you've listened to this uh, you know, interview, try it for a week and come back to it and share your comments, what you've discovered, any surprises. And you can even complain, ah, it made me feel worse. We'll listen to anything. But just put that on your calendar and do it. Well, super appreciative for your time today, Mark, and, sh- and sharing that wisdom. I-, I really hope it's it's helpful for a lot of people. I know it will be for me. Before you go, what are you most excited about in your world? What are you up to that you're you're fired up about, and how can we participate? Well, I guess what I'm fired up about is, you know, for many years, I've had, at least in America, I've had what the world needed but it didn't want. Mm. You know, my book, Just Listen, has done very well, and I've spoken in overseas and they seem to be more open to listening overseas than in America. You know, we seem to be cuddled to the metal here. We're all influencers over here. <laughs> We're all output. We're all output, you're right. And so what's happened is the world is realizing that they they don't just need to connect with each other, they have to because if we because if we pull away from each other and we're prey to our imagination, we're just gonna feel worse. So uh, I guess what I'm excited about is that the world is starting to discover that connecting with each other really matters, maybe civilization saving, and, you know, and may actually uh, be as or more valuable than what you have and what you're doing. Well, that that certainly is making me feel better. Uh, and, and I think a lot of us have that hope that, that somehow through this shared experience and through this forcing mechanism <laughs> that's forced so many of us to stop in our tracks, we're going to meditate on this collectively and, and come out with some better systems and some better processes, both internally and, you know, as as societies. All right, Mark. So great to hear from you, man. Love you, bro. Stay, Stay safe out there. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining me on What We Don't Know. If you liked what you heard, we post the full interviews on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. If you become a patron, you'll have access to those full interviews plus other exclusive content. 50% of the revenue that this podcast generates goes towards the initiatives and organizations of our guests. So you'll not only be supporting this podcast, but you'll also be supporting some amazing, amazing work. If you'd like to follow us on social, we're at WWDKPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On YouTube, you can find our channel if you search What We Don't Know Podcast. If you go to our website, WWDKPod.com, you can sign up for our newsletter where we share all the latest content. All right. Hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. Take care.